Darkcast Network. Out of the shadows comes the best of indie podcasts. On March 24th, Brian Edward McCleary and his friends decided to spend the day skin diving near the sunken USS Massachusetts, a couple miles offshore at the Pensacola Bay. They were not alone in the water, and soon, one by one, Brian's friends began disappearing, and what was thought to be a fun day outing turned into a nightmare. Brian remains adamant that his friends were eaten alive by some sort of monster. This case remains unsolved till this day. My name is DJ, and this is the Mythical True Crime Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to tonight's show. I thought I'd take tonight to change up the scenery a little bit. Uh, I've always liked monster stories, but like many things, when we're children, we grow out of them. Except for Brian McCleary's tale, who recanted in the Fate article in 1965, May issue. Uh, After some digging, I found that he had written this entire story which I will now present to you word for word. Just being up front as well, many websites document this story, and there are some inconsistencies to go along with Brian's firsthand account, but most of it seems to be word-of-mouth details, such as how many miles offshore they were, uh, when the bodies were found, things of that sort. But okay, let's begin. On March 24, 1962, Edward Brian McCleary, aged 16, was invited on a skin-diving trip by his friend, Eric Rowell, who was also 16. Skin-diving was just meant that it was diving without the use of a respirator. It's a similar to free-diving, though free-diving is more of a competitive sport. Of note, Brian says he checked the weather report before agreeing to the trip. The two were joined by Bradford Rice, who was 14, Warren Felly, 16, and Larry Stewart Bill, age 17. They drove to Fort Pickens State Park, where they entered the waters of the Pensacola Bay, heading for the sunken USS Massachusetts, which is located on a sandbar about two miles offshore. The boys had a seven-foot Air Force life raft, which they planned to paddle to the ship. It was outfitted with a drift anchor, pockets for provisions, and oars. From the minute he sets foot in the water and continuing throughout the story, Brian stresses the fact that the water was ice cold. The boys took turns paddling, so none of them would be too tired to dive once they reached the shipwreck. But on the trip out, a storm started to whip up. The sea grew choppier and clouds began to roll into the sky. The winds and waves were pushing the raft out to sea. Eric, Warren, and Brian jumped into the water to push the raft from behind, but were unable to make any progress. So shortly after, they climbed back in. The waves were so high that they now had to hold on to the sides of the raft. The sky was growing dark, and the other boats they saw at the sea began to head for shore. 
they saw a Chriscraft boat entering the channel. They waved at the boat, crying for help and shouting, May Day! An elderly woman waved back, but the boat did not approach them to help. Brad grabbed a shark gun, tied a red shirt around the tip, and fired it at the boat. The spear landed about 50 feet away from the boat. Quote, it was impossible for anyone to miss the distress signal, but the Chriscraft continued on. At this point, Brian spotted a large buoy and suggested they tie the boat there to wait out the storm. The crew, who were now sitting in a pool of cool water as they were continuously swamped by waves, paddled their raft towards the buoy. Brian describes the buoy as being 20 feet in high. However, a riptide had formed at the base of the buoy, and the boat was sucked under it before the boys can tie the raft. Everyone jumps clear of the raft, which is pulled underneath the buoy, then washes free. Eric and Brian cling to the sides of the raft as the rest of the boys climb back in. At this point, the sky is black as night, and they're beginning to wash out of the channel past the USS Massachusetts. After a while, Brian suggesting he doesn't know how long, the storm lets up. The rain turns to mist, and the ocean is calm. But a fog starts to roll in. It limits their visibility to 25 feet, and the boys decide to wait for the fog to clear. The boys share some cigarettes that miraculously hadn't gotten wet. At this point, the water beneath them becomes unseasonably warm. The air is filled with the smell of dead fish, and they hear a splash. Brian says, what looked like a telephone pole, about 10 feet high, with a bulb on top of it, stood erect for a moment, then bent in the middle and dove under. A sickening odor filled the air. The boys discussed what might be. Warren suggested an oarfish. Brian suggested a sea monster. Then they hear a high-pitched whine. Panicked, everyone puts on their fins and dives into the water. Patches of brown, crusty slime lay over the surface. Everyone swims for the shipwreck. The water begins to get colder, and the rain rolls in again. I should stress that Brian has described everyone at this point being exhausted, cold, and cramped. They've been swimming for perhaps 30 seconds when Warren cries, Hey, help me! Help me! It's got Brad! Before he too vanishes. Brian is now swimming with Larry and Eric, but has lost sights of both Warren and Brad. Then Larry vanishes. Eric and Brian dive for him, but see nothing. Eric becomes overcome with cramps and holds on to Brian's neck as he paddles for what hopes to be sure. It's now described pitch black, and he can't tell where he's going. After what felt like a couple hours, lightning flashes, and Brian sees the USS Massachusetts. He swims towards it. Eric is pulled off him by a wave, but Brian sees him swimming towards the ship as well. Brian then says, Right next to Eric, that telephone pole-like figure broke out through the water. I could see the long neck and two small eyes. The mouth opened, 
and it bent over and dove on top of Eric, dragging him under. I screamed and began to swim past the ship. My insides were shaking uncontrollably. Now at this point, Brian does not remember anything until he washes up onto the beach. He finds a tower of some sort, which he climbs up and steps onto the floor. In the morning, he climbs down, but his legs are failing him and he falls into the beach and starts to crawl. Some passers-by find him. Now, the article that was published in Fate ends with a short summary of local news reports. However, none of them actually match Brian's story. One report suggested that Brian drifted and swam more than two miles away. Again, this is where the inconsistencies I found digging online. Uh, Coast Guard and Navy rescue estimates say that he swam about five miles. Doctors at a naval base that he was brought to said that the water, the boy had been in the water for over 12 hours. The interviewing reporters told Brian their stories would not be published if he mentioned the sea serpent as, quote, it was better to left, be left unmentioned for all those concerned. The bodies of Eric, Warren, and Larry were never recovered. However, one body did wash ashore a week after the accident. And Brian says, quote, to the best of my knowledge, I had to identify the body of that of Brian. I was unable to confirm whether or not this was Brad Rice or why Brian was the one who had identified the body. The raft was found 10 miles from where Brian came out of the water. He was picked up near Fort McRae at 7.45 in the morning, Sunday, March 5th, 1962, by a helicopter from a naval air station. He had spent the early morning hours in an old gun emplacement. The clipping further states that Brian suffered from shock and exposure but was released to his parents after a brief treatment at the Naval Hospital. Brian writes us that after the accident, he had a nervous breakdown, but recovered and was able to resume life in about three months. Now, the newspaper article from the Ocula Star Banner confirms that four boys were lost at sea, and Brian's story of attempting to tie the raft to the buoy turned out to be true. The raft was eventually washed ashore on the Gulf Beach, with face masks, shoes, and fins still inside. Now, the author on this website uh, that I'm particularly looking at said that he looked up different weather reports as most of the write-ups claim that the weather reports don't mention this storm. Uh, he was not able to conclude with his own research using various farmers' almanacs and other things that had been reported. Now, one thing the author did find was that this area actually was really heavy with ripped currents and rip tides. This seems like the most likely answer to what happened to the boys. Given that they were described uh, to be in a channel, particularly knowing that the USS Massachusetts was on a sandbar, it's very likely that a rip current could have formed there. Also repeatedly mentioned throughout the article was the boy's mental health. Repeatedly, he re said that the water was freezing and that the boys were physically exhausted and cramped badly. It's entirely possible that this monster was just a hallucination. The boys drowned and they tried to swim back to shore after panicking and being swept out to sea. 
Anyone who has experienced paddling against a tide can attest to that this is a very difficult challenge and very tiring. In any event, given the described state of the boys, it's not too hard to picture how they drowned, regardless of the sequence of events that led them to that point. So was there even a sea monster? Well, it depends on what you believe. Some online claims say that there was a whale in the area. What could be described as a sea monster may have been a simple North Atlantic whale skimming. During my research of what a North Atlantic whale looks like, uh, they show several videos of it skim feeding, and it does look like some sort of creature sticking its way out of the water. Baleen whales don't eat humans, obviously, but it's not directly stated whether that the monster ever eats anyone. The boys are panicked at the sight and start frantically swimming away. They're already exhausted and cramped. They could as easily have drowned as attempt to escape from this monster. Now, the monster does not eat Eric either. It dives on top of him. The exact quote from Brian. Dragging him underneath. A whale is a massive creature and can easily hurt a human. While whales will generally try to avoid humans, it's possible that this could have just accidentally happened and dived on top of him while feeding. Whale could have also pulled a person down as if they were to dive if a person is close enough. And in their weakened state, the boys could have very well drowned. Other evidence suggests that the high-pitched whine they heard obviously could have been a whale. That's the sound a whale makes. Now, as for the mist surrounding the area, you could even say that that was a whale spouting. The scent of dead fish, a lot of this corroborates to a possible whale encounter. Some online posts have suggested that Brian possibly killed his friends. This seems unlikely to me and several other folk online. Sounds like Brian had been extremely traumatized by the experience. And with suffering survivor's guilt, that could be a very big part of it. I really don't see him causing the death of his four friends. Some people say that he paddled the raft away from his friends as a joke, causing them to drown. I just think that this is more likely an accidental drowning story than being caught in a riptide. Some of the other research I found that Fate magazine was actually just a tabloid and it was all made up. However, there are legitimate articles written by like the New York Times that changes this idea. So when I was digging around, writing three years after the supposed event, McCleary claimed that he immediately shared his monster tale with the personnel at Pensacola's Naval Hospital where he was treated for shock and exposure. One of the verified members of the county search and rescue unit allegedly listened to him and said, quote, The sea has a lot of secrets. I believe you, Brian, but there's not much else I can do. Two months after the fate published the story, McCleary sent an abbreviated and amended version to a Loch Ness researcher named Tim Dinsdale, who apparently accepted the tale as face value and remarked on the potential danger faced to those who swim in waters inhabited by these animals, which must be fish-eating carnivores. As for the fate of McCleary's friends, Dinsdale wrote, I feel Mr. McCleary has been right to omit the details in his letter, because the facts cannot be proven. So the next big question is, what happened to Brian? Well, I've read many claims online, 
some of them say that Brian went crazy and had a drug-induced alcohol bender and kind of swirled down into chaos, insists that he still sees that sea monster and says it exists. There's also posts that say Brian talked to a psychologist who convinced him that the monster wasn't real anymore. One detail I did find consistently over multiple websites, which I have notated in the annotations, is that Edward uh, had died. Brian Edward McCleary died in 2016. Just be respectful and don't contact or harass any of his friends or family. And with that being said, that concludes our tonight's story. A little short one. However, I thought it was a nice change of pace versus some of the other mythical things that we talk about. So in conclusion, thank you very much for listening. Be sure to subscribe and share this with others so they can hear these stories as well. Thank you very much for listening. And this is the Mythical True Crime Podcast. Good night. Thank you very much for listening tonight and being part of the Mythical True Crime community, hosted by me, DJ. Subscribe to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get your weekly updates. And if you like what you hear, consider subscribing. Subscribing will directly support the show and the work that I'm doing. If you'd like to be a new supporter, consider clicking the link in the description box below. For less than a cup of coffee a month, you can help me continue to make great content for listeners everywhere. No commitment cancel any time. This has been the Mythical True Crime Podcast. My name is DJ. Good night.